Ah, we're on. Good. Thank you, John. That's how all that training is. All that training at Emory Riddle did it for him. I may be hiring John. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, so Revelation 21, 24 talks about boundaries and nations and kings of nations even on the new earth. And I'm sure that something, some of that has to do with believers that will be ruling and reigning with Christ on the new earth. We also read that um, in Isaiah 60 and verses 1 to 3. Also Isaiah talking about the future and the forever kingdom speaks also of nations gathering there. So we know there's going to be places and cities and nations and there's going to be geography similar to what we have even in our own day. But obviously, again, to be reminded that Christ is there. The Father's throne is here, according to Revelation 22, 1 to 5. And Christ is ruling, and there is no more sin. There is no more evil. There is no more temptation. But all will be as the Lord created it in Genesis 1 and 2, and even better, when the curse is removed. One of the things I wanted to mention to you too, look at Revelation 21 while we're in Re Revelation, that end of the book. In Revelation 21, he starts speaking about the new heavens and new earth. And I want to read again these wonderful verses down to verse 9. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about under the heading of geography, what is this new Jerusalem? Are we to take this, this passage about the new Jerusalem literally? Or are we to take it figuratively? So you look at it with me, and then we'll talk about this in just a minute. And I saw a new heaven, John writes, and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Now we said even last week that sea is often used of the wicked. Several places in the Old Testament and the New the sea describes the whole gathering of the evil ones, the wicked ones. So that may be what that's referring to here because other passages we saw last week speak of bodies of water. Big bodies of water, again, on the new earth. And then he says, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Who would the husband be here? Christ. Christ, Christ is, is the husband for sure. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, and there shall no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost, he who overcomes 
shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And one of the angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I shall show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now, the bride, the wife of the Lamb, back in verse 2, is used again to describe what? The New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem. So the question again is, um, is this something that we are supposed to understand as a city, as, excuse me, Mo? Uh, could you just touch on what it says in Revelation 22 about the, it's going to be the river of life? Um, and 22, 1 to 5? Yes. Yeah, if you, if you could just hold, wait on that a minute. We're going to get there uh, just on a couple things, and we'll, we'll touch on that. Um, but again, back to this, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that probably... This is a reference to, this new Jerusalem that's coming down, is a reference to the bride of Christ. And who would that be? Church. All of us, the church, believers, everyone from all the way from back in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, who has come to right relationship to God, who's coming back with Jesus to reign on the new earth. And the first reason would be because it's described as the bride, particularly verse 9 that we read seems to say that this is the bride of Christ, the wife of the Lamb. It would be hard to imagine an actual city to be the wife of the Lamb, but it's easy to see how the new Jerusalem could be representative of the church, all believers from all ages that will be here on the new earth. And here's a couple of other reasons for taking it that way, not only because of the description as the bride, but the second point is when you look at the dimensions, if you, if you do an actual measuring with miles about the dimensions that are described of this new Jerusalem that's coming down and to be here and to be the bride of the Lamb, you will find that it's 1,400 miles it is a square, 1,400 miles on each side with only three places to get in. That would be a strange, actual, literal city. A city that would stretch from the east coast to out in Kansas, probably, somewhere in that vicinity. And if you also looked at its walls, its walls would be 200 walls all around this, 1,400, 1,400 <coughs> miles all the way around, 200 and about... 15 feet thick walls around that, if this is literal. And then the other thing is, it's, these walls go up 1,400 miles in the sky, up where the satellites are and beyond. So if you take that literally, if this, if this Jerusalem that's coming down is a literal city, that's an issue. What, what, is, what is that? What does that look like? One of the things that I find over and over again is when you're talking about prophecy and future things and eschatological things, the writers often use figures, types, figures. 
And I think that's what we're seeing here. Revelation is one of the highest figured books that there is. And you always have to look at what are the figures. For instance, the numbers 7 and 10 appear over and over. 12 times 12. Um, these numbers have tremendous significance. The number 7 for perfection. The number 10 for completion. So you, you, you have these figures to deal with. Another thing, too, that... that uh, it is in, in this chapter, there are 12 gates in, in reference to the city, 12 tribes, 12, um, 12 precious stones, 12 pearls, 12, um, let's see, 12 apostles, 12,000 uh, 12, stadia, and 12 kinds of fruit, all of these things bearing um, fruit 12 months out of the year. So when you look at that, you kind of come away going, okay, there's 12 apostles, there are 12 tribes represented here. Could that not be both Jew and Gentile all comprising the church? So there's a lot of other figurative language describing the things that are in this city. And then the last thing, and I, and I write so small, I better pick this up so I can read what I, what I put here. Um, when it says... In terms of this place, there is no sun or moon because of the glory of God. We know that other passages make it very clear back in the Old Testament and the Psalms, we saw this last week, that it talks about the moon never ending and the sun never ending. So you have to be careful in apocalyptic literature, eschatological literature, about taking things literally or figuratively. It just seems much better to me to see that when he comes back in this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, the bride of Christ is indeed all of the Jews and all of the Gentiles for all of the ages of time that have come to him, that are dwelling here. And, and you remember too, we noticed this last week, that in verse, um, in, in chapter 21, also in this particular section, verse 22 it says, and I saw no temple in it for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb became its temple. There's no temple there. The glory of God is going to shine forth in this new earth that we will be living in. Both the Father and the Son will be here. We will be with them. There will be nations. There will be boundaries. And I think we could think in terms much like today except with all of the curse and all of the sin and everything else removed. Now, letter G from last week is in relationship to its inhabitants. In relationship to its inhabitants. The first one is, we've said already, Revelation 22, and let's look over there because Mo asked a question about this. And it says in Revelation 22, And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the, twelve, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him. 
and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall be no longer, shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have need of the light of the lamp, nor of the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. Now again, there's there's some some very descriptive things there, aren't there? There's the river. He's talking about no longer the need of the sun. The throne of God will be here. We shall see His face. Back in the Old Testament, and by the way, does it seem to you that this is talking about Jesus or the Father when it says we shall see His face? Jesus is going to be here in a glorified body. From the time that Jesus was born... The second person of the Trinity took upon himself human flesh from that time on and forevermore he will be a man with us. He is a man. He is human in every sense that we are. His glorified body is a type of what our glorified body will be like. We have seen his face. Not you and I, but others already have seen his face. They saw him after the resurrection. They fellowship with him for 40 days while he was here before the ascension. And some have seen him, such as Stephen, when he sees the, uh, Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, awaiting his arrival there because he's being stoned to death. Stephen has seen his face. It seems to me that what he's talking about is something totally new here in the new heavens and new earth. And that is that for the first time, in all of history, we will be able to look on the Father and see His face and not what? And not die. Because we are living in eternal, glorified bodies. Back to Mo's question about what the, the river of the water of life is. I would take it as a figure, Mo, uh, a figure of the salvation that flows out of the throne of God that's affected everyone there. Could it also involve a little, a literal body of water? I guess it could, but I think again the, the picture to me would be this river of, of life. It's a river of life. It's the life that flows out of the Father and has impacted everyone that's in the new earth with Him. That's, that's the way I would primarily look at it. it. It's the life that would be the emphasis. And by the way, when you see that, this would be um, the Greek word zoe. I'm, I'm almost positive that that's what it is, which is always used of eternal life. It's, it's the word in the Greek language that would picture the life that we have in Christ. So you've, you've got a lot of things here. The, the tree of life is there. Now I would tend to, to lean more literally on that because where was it in the beginning? In the garden. And, and it seems like it's still there. And, and you remember he said, I don't want them now that they've sinned to eat of the tree of life. Because why? Excuse me? They would have lived forever. Yeah, they would live forever in their condition. And, and so he, they removed the tree of life, but now it appears up again in the new heavens and new earth. And I also would take verse 5 as not saying there's not a sun or a moon or these celestial bodies that are there that are accompanying this, this earth now, but that he's still talking about the predominant thing there will be the glory of God and the light that shines forth. Remember what they experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus 
when the glory of God shined around him and he, he, he turned just this glowing white and his clothes did as well. So I, I think that's kind of what the picture may, might be there. That, that's my understanding. So let, let's look on. Um, there's another thing here we want to say in terms the Father will be here, His throne will be here. I would say that we'll be able to look upon Him as He is since we're in glorified bodies. And then glorified saints will be here and angels will be here. Um, we know the angels will be here. That was number three because Revelation 5.11, after, let's turn to Revelation 5 for a moment. In Revelation 5, we have both um, glorified saints, believers that are here, and we have the angels as well. Look at 9, 10, and 11. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou, thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign upon the earth. And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea. Notice the sea again is back here. And all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. So notice verse 13 again. Every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them are praising God. So it's an amazing scene. So we have glorified saints that will be there. Um, Revelation 22, 3-5 that we were just looking at. Daniel 7, by the way. Back in Daniel, and I want you to just turn there with me for a moment. And the Old Testament prophetical book of Daniel in chapter 7. Notice two verses there. Um, actually, three. 18, 22, and 27. And the king went off. Whoops. Chapter 7, 18. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. For all ages to come. By the way, when, you, when you're looking at Old Testament verses about future, about the future, about kingdoms, sometimes you will wrestle with, is he talking about the millennial kingdom? Or is he talking about the final, the final kingdom that comes into play after the millennial period is over? One of the ways that I always, or one of the, the words that I look for is if this kingdom that's in discussion Words are used with it like everlasting, forever, never ending. That clues me in to which one it might be. Which would it be? The eternal one. The one that begins the new heaven and new earth in Revelation 21. 
what Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 65 and 66, the new heavens and new earth, when he's speaking of that kingdom and words, or a kingdom in the future, and words are used such as forever, everlasting, never ending, always, that can't be a reference to a thousand year period because that's temporal. That, that has a beginning and that has an ending. But when the words are there, so, so Daniel's using these words, these, they, will possess, they will possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Look down at verse 22. Until the ancient of days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. And verse 27 in Daniel. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an what? everlasting kingdom. And all the dominions will serve and obey Him. So when you look at Old Testament verses that are dealing with a future kingdom, look for the terminology. If it says things like, there will be no more sin. Is there sin in the millennium? Yes. There's rebellion in the millennium. People are still born dying. The curse is still upon the earth. It hasn't been removed. People have to be saved. People are still sinning. And by the end of the thousand years, what's happening in that period? Mass rebellion is occurring against Christ. So be careful when you're looking at Old Testament prophecy and, and looking at them if you see words such as we've been describing that, that picture an everlasting kingdom, then you know he's focusing on what? The new heavens and the new earth. Not, not some period that's just going, going to last for a while and then go away. So let me say a couple other things about these saints that are going to be there. Um, Revelation 22, Revelation 5, Daniel 7. Here's some things that we learned. And again, I've written so small that I've got to pick this up to see it. But it'll help me use the microphone too. It seems very likely from all we read, and, and you know, here's an interesting thing. I think in many cases we get better descriptions in the Old Testament of what this everlasting kingdom will look like and be like, and especially for us, than we do in the New I think it's in the new, but it's more detailed and more specific and maybe more plentiful even in the Old Testament, particularly the book of Isaiah. Isaiah has so much. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 25, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 60, Isaiah 62, Isaiah 65, Isaiah 66 has so much to say about the day that's coming and about this future glorious everlasting kingdom. But here's some things I think that we get, the picture that we get about the saints who are there. Number one, we in that new kingdom will maintain the same personal identity that we have now. Louis is still going to be Louis. Louis. Not quite like he is now. <laughs> He's still going to be Louis. We're going to know each other. We still will have personal identity. How do we know that? Well, we know that because he describes in Isaiah 
You will be there. You will live in homes. You will work. You will produce. There will be animals there on the new earth. It is a, a spiritual yet earthly and material world. Much like God created it to be in the beginning before sin corrupted everything. Here's another thing. We will also recognize each other and we will be friends and have friends and make new friends all through the rest of eternity. We will also, I think, though this is a, this is a little bit a stepping out a bit, I get this a little bit from some things that Randy Alcorn said in his book on heaven. He believes that we will have memory of things that were passed here. Good memories. The good memories of things that even related to our relationship back here. I don't think we'll spend a whole lot of time talking about it, but I think that's, that's a very real possibility. Um, we'll have emotions, no question about that, and desires uh, on the, in the new earth. A body that's similar yet glorified. Probably we will still be either male or female. It seems to describe that in some of these passages dealing with the future. Moses, when he comes back, and he hasn't even made it all the way to the new to the new earth when he appears with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, but still they recognize him as the man Moses. I would think that would carry right on into the the new heavens and new earth. We know that in the glorified body, Christ has demonstrated to us that we will be able to eat and drink. We know from Isaiah 65 that there will be crops and we will grow things and there will be food to eat in the new heavens and new earth. We know this too. It will be life without temptation. Never tempted to do anything evil. No flesh to try and come against our spirit because our flesh now will be glorified and made in like manner unto our spirit in terms of its love for God and its desire to please Him. There won't be desires of the flesh there. No more sin. Can you, can you even imagine just for a day what that would be like? It will be glorious. A body that will rest probably sleep, a body that will work, a body that will enjoy the things that God has given us there, a body that will live in a structure, in a home, and maybe without a plumber to call. I don't know. I don't know what kind of homes they will be, but they will be glorious homes, and um, on a glorious earth, and for all eternity that we will be there. So we know in relationship to its inhabitants, God and the Son will be there. The angels will be there. Glorified saints will be there. And do you remember what it also says about believers in relationship to angels in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? We will be responsible for the angels. We will look over them. We will watch over them. We will, in a sense rule and judge over them. And do you remember what, he, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6? He said, why are you going to Gentile courts, you Christians, 
when you have a problem with each other in this life, why are you taking that matter to Gentile courts? You should be going where? To church leadership. Solve your problems. Don't go to Gentiles to help figure out what these problems are and to help solve them. He said, don't you know that one day you will judge the angels? Are you not sufficient now in Christ to deal with matters between yourselves? It is sad. Can, can a believer, by the way, go and have a civil court with somebody that's not, not a believer? Seems, seems that that's so. Where, where else would you go if there is a big issue here that needs resolving? Now, that doesn't mean you have to go. You could just say, forget it. But God may want you to go. He might want you to go to address evil in that particular civil court. But when it comes to matters between ourselves, that, that is a different story. So there are glorified saints there. There are angels there. There are animals there. And we read that in a lot of these passages, particularly in, in the Old Testament, but in the New as well. In relationship to time and space, there are some who think that in the new heavens and new earth, um, there won't be any reckoning of time. But here's what we do know about the new heavens and new earth. There will be seasons and growing times and harvest. Now, if there are growing times and seasons upon the new earth, similar to what we have now, then you would also figure there's a reckoning of time. If the sun and the moon are there, there's still 24-hour days. There's a reckoning of time. Time is not evil. Time is not evil. It's never been evil. The issue with time there, it will be different because you don't wake up in the morning and say, I've only got an extra year to live to get this done. Time is kind of irrelevant there in the sense that you have all the time in the world. For when, when husbands say to their wives when they're trying to get ready and they say, honey, take all the time you need. That can be scary. Um, <laughs> not with my wife. She's pretty fast. She's usually ahead of me. But um, there we will have all the time that we need. Time is not an enemy, so it seems like that even in the new heavens and new earth, there will be seasons and days and months, and yet they will continue, and they will continue, and they will continue, and there will never, ever be an end. That's, that's the amazing thing about the future that awaits us. Okay, now, with all the time we have left, let's look at some of the things on the outline for today. Our relationship with Do God. Do you have time for one uh, question I was curious about? Is yes. You were given the picture, uh -huh. and that's the ruling over, and you used an example of court. I, I oh, guess an example of what? Of, or like, we as believers aren't going to court, but we might be able to go to court. Uh, it, I was it, using that of here and now. Right. But I was getting what? I guess I don't picture any because of what the new heaven is going to new earth any problems. So I guess my question is, what kind of judging do you think will be? There would be there. Yeah, my my I'm, I'm I would agree with you that we're not going to have be tempted to sin. We're not going to be getting angry. 
you know, unless it would be a righteous anger, and, wh and why would we have to have a righteous anger there? You know? So I don't think there's going to be anger. I don't think there's going to be a need for judges in the sense that we think of now in settling disputes. But I think what we find is, is that Christ is reigning over all of this, and, th and he is also designated that there will be differences in terms of what we each one individually do in heaven. And there will be differences in terms also of looking over the whole of the new earth and all the people on it. So I think there will be guidance. I think there will be people in reigning with Christ that are giving directions. I think we will have people between us and Christ there, other believers. And I think that's part of the reward that we see. Even when he says to his disciples, they want to sit in the, you know, the... They want to be next to him on the next to his throne and be there ruling with him. And what does he say? Yeah, that's possible, but you need to be a servant here now. You want to be great in the kingdom? You be the servant of all right now. So it seems to me that there are there is a place for leadership and reigning with him and looking over the nations and looking over cities and looking over areas, but I think that it's a reigning in righteousness, it's a reigning with peace but it still takes people overseeing. That's, that's what I would look at. I don't think there are going to be problems because there is no more sin. So like levels of authority. Levels of authority would be a good way to describe that. And again, given to those who have shown their faithfulness in an exceeding way, I think, in this life. You want to be great in the kingdom? Be a servant now. Serve him now. Serve him faithfully now. You, you, don't, you don't really care much about the kingdom? then that's another matter. But he's saying, I think, he is teaching that there are rewards and those rewards are meted out in terms of not how much money you have there, but in terms of how much authority you're given. How many shekels? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that just seems funny to me. Yeah. So it's not about you know having a bigger mansion there. It, it's about being of more service there. You know, that's, that's the way I would look at it. Good question. Okay, let's let's move on to this new one, and we'll turn on the uh, fan up here and see if we can get down through these. Number one is our relationship with God in the new heaven and earth. What will that be like? Letter A, the triune God will be among us on the new earth. So I'm going to go down some of these and mention, mention some of the words that are used that would help us get a, an understanding. Number one, we will see his heavenly throne located to the new earth, Revelation 21 that we just read. The throne of God, remember Christ in the intermediate heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father next to his throne. Now, that throne is coming here. And it appears that there will be a throne for the Son and a throne for the Father. Jesus is here in, in a glorified body, but the, the triune God will be here. And the Spirit of God will be here in a very significant and glorious way. Um, so Revelation 22, 1-5, to The tabernacle of God is among men, and He shall dwell among them, and God Himself will be among us on this earth, the glorified earth, the earth with the curse removed. Now, number two, will we see Him face to face? Revelation 22, 1-5 says that. And I think it's referring to the Father because 
we know we have seen already the face of Christ and we will see him there because he will be like us in a glorified body. So will we see the Father face to face? We know in Exodus 33, 18 to 23, Moses could not lest he die. But now when we get to Revelation 22, 4, things are different. We're in a glorified body and it seems that we will see him in his fullness and see him as he is. Number three, we will see him in everything. In other words, Psalm 73, 25 to 28, talks about, that there's, this is where the psalmist is saying, what have I in heaven besides thee? And what, what do I desire on earth besides thee? He is everything. He is the central thing. We will see Him in everything. We will see Him in what He provides. When Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you so that I might receive you there someday. I don't know exactly whether that's the intermediate heaven He was talking about or is that ultimately was He talking to the disciples about the new heavens and new earth. But we know that in everything we have there and everything we do there, we will see Him. Even in our leisure time. And I think there will be leisure time there. I think there will be time to climb Pikes Peak. If you're so inclined. If you want to go up Pikes Peak, you can drive up there now. Uh, but check your brakes before you go. We've had some friends who almost met the Lord on the way back down. Because their brakes went out and their car went flying off the road. And serious stuff. But I think there will be leisure time, but we will see Him in all of it. We know that He gives us all things. It, it's, not, it's not just that we're going to work there, we're going to reign with Him there. It's, it's also that we're going to be enjoy life together and times together. And we're going to be able to do things together, I think, in terms of leisure. But we will see Him in everything that we do everything that we do. He will be a, a part of that. John 14, 1-3, which I was just trying to bring to your memory as well. Number four, we shall see Him, or we will see Him in our new glorified bodies, which I take to mean we're going to see Him in all His glory. We're going to be in glorified bodies. We're going to see Him in a way that we could never see Him in this life. Glorified. And we're glorified. I think that it adds a whole new dimension to the way that we perceive Him. We will, be, we will be enabled to see His glory in all of its perfection. And there won't be any problem with that. Number five, we will have intimate fellowship with Him. Look at uh, John 17 with me for just a moment. In John 17. And also... Um, do you remember one of the things that, that uh, Jesus said in John 17 and verse 24? Father, I desire that they be with me that they might see my glory. I desire, I'm looking forward, Father, to the day that they will be with me. And they will be with me for eternity. And they will see my glory. And we will see Him in, in a way that we have never seen Him. Number five, we have intimate fellowship with Him. That's also... John 17, and I want you to just look at those first five verses with me. John 17, 1 to 5. 
And here's what the Lord Jesus said in His high priestly prayer there. These things Jesus spoke, and lifting up His eyes to heaven, He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Thy Son, that the Son may glorify Thee. Even as Thou gavest Him authority over all mankind, over all flesh, in other words, that to all whom Thou hast given Him, He may give eternal life. Now notice verse 3 again. Familiar should be familiar to you. And this is eternal life, that they may know, and that's the Greek word. There's two Greek words for knowledge. One is oida, and that's mainly factual knowledge. That would be used if you're studying in a class. You're getting knowledge, oida. Another word is gnosko, and that talks about experiential knowledge. Knowledge that you gain by, for instance, if if someone is teaching aviators how to fly an airplane in a classroom, that's oida. And then if he takes them out on the runway and puts them in an airplane and takes them up and all of a sudden says, here, you take the plane. Number one, that produces a lot of fear <laughs> if you don't know what you're doing. The only thing you're, 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 you're glad for is that the guy who knows what he's doing is sitting there next to him. But that's experiential knowledge. And this is what Jesus is saying. And this is eternal life, that they may know experientially Thee, the only true God, and Jesus whom Thou hast sent. What's eternal life? It's not just living for a long time, living forever. What is it? It's knowing Him. It's having an intimate relationship with Him. And that's going to happen in heaven. We will have intimacy with the Son and intimacy with the Father and intimacy with the Spirit of God. So we will have intimate fellowship with Him. Number six, we will experience His goodness and His care. And I want to read several passages. You have them listed, I think, on your outline, right? They're there. Look, look first of all at Isaiah 25. Little Old Testament passage regarding the goodness of God to us in the future. And chapter 25, and I'll read to you verses 6 through 9. And the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for what? All peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations, and he will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God, now that, uh, that clues me in again, if death is swallowed up forever, that can't be a reference to what? Can't be a reference to the thousand years. It's got to be a reference to the future. He will swallow up death for all time because Paul says the last enemy is death. The last enemy is death. And when that's taken away, that's the end of all, all the enemies. He will swallow up death, he says, for all time. And the Lord God will wipe away tears. What does that sound like? Revelation 21. From all faces, he will remove the reproach of all his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God, for whom we have waited that he might save us. Notice the care of God for His people here. Providing the food, providing the banquet, 
taking care of us, wiping away. It, it, it's interesting, it says, He wipes away the tears. He cares for us in every aspect of our lives. And you see this in so many passages. Other passages that I listed here for you um, on this section were uh, Luke 12, 37, and Revelation 19, 5 to 9. That's another banquet picture that takes place in the book of Revelation. And a couple others that I would add are Revelation 7, 15 to 17. I'm going to just turn over and look at that one. You've got the other verses there for you about the care, the goodness and the care of God. So Revelation uh, chapter 7 and verses 15 to 17. Listen to this section. For this reason they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in, in His temple. And He sits on the throne and, and He who sits on the throne shall spread His tabernacle over them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun beat down on them nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to springs of the water of life, and shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. His care is, is just it's hard to, to describe and hard to imagine, but He is with us in everything. It is what He purposed in the very beginning and beyond. Now, number seven, we will find our greatest joy in Him. Do you remember Psalm 1611? Here's what it says. In His presence, and we will be in His presence, is fullness of joy. Can you, can you if, I, if I said to you, what was the most joyful day of your life? Can you, can you come up with a day? If your wife is here, husbands, you better come up with a day. What was the most joyful day in your life? First child. First child, okay. A lot of things that we could share and say. But in His presence, that's where joy is going to be magnified and full. In His presence is, is fullness of joy. In His right hand are whatevermore? Pleasures. Pleasures evermore. Every pleasure that's good that you can imagine comes from His hand to you. And He will be there with you. It is just so hard to, when we think about this world, because sometimes in this, in this world when we're going through difficulties, what, what can we think in terms of, where are you, God? Why aren't you here with me? What, what's happening? Why didn't you answer my prayer? Why am I going through this? We can have those times, and sometimes we feel a little bit far, don't we? But God is still with us. And he says, I will be with you. I'll see you through these times. Recognize they're coming from my hand and that it's for your good. It's for your growth. I'm disciplining you as, a, as an earthly parent would discipline their child for your good. If you haven't experienced the discipline of the Lord, Hebrews 12 says, you're what? You're not his child. He's disciplining us. He's preparing us for that day. He's conforming us more into the image of His Son. And it's a process. And there are days here where we just trust. We trust. 
That's all we do is we say, Father, my life is in your hands and I trust you with what's going on today. Help me through it. You're in it and you're in it for my good. And there, there's this trust that has to be there. So all of these things are going on. Let her be the triune God will be the object of our worship in the on the new earth. And I think, number one, we will worship him in everything that we do. It's spontaneous. If you look at some of these verses, Revelation 5 and 7, which deal with the, the throngs around him, worshiping him in the book of Revelation, you will see this spontaneous outbreak of worship. Some have said... There won't be any official, they think, official services there. Like an 8 o'clock service or a 10 o'clock service. But that it will be spontaneous going on all the time and and all over. We will worship Him in, in everything that we do. Number two, we will never tire of worshiping Him. And I wrote down Ephesians 5, 19 and 20 and Romans 11. Remember Romans 11, 33 to 36 says... For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. From Him, to Him. All of these things are related to God. We will never tire of worshiping Him for who He is and the goodness and the mercies that He has done for us. Ephesians 5, 19 and 20 talk about, gives us an example of when we come together in the body, we're to be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we, we see the presence of the Spirit in that. We see the filling of the Spirit in that. And when we are with Him, we will never tire of having those kind of opportunities for worship. Number three, we will find no conflict between worshiping Him and enjoying this life. Romans 8.32, How will He not also with Him... Paul says, freely give us how many things? All. all things. With Him, we not only get Him, we get all things. All things that we could ever imagine or ever desire or ever want. There's no conflict between worshiping Him and enjoying a climb up Pikes Peak in July. Not in January. You don't want to climb Pikes Peak if you're out in my neck of the woods in January. Do you know why? It's pretty deep. It's not only cold, it's high altitude up there, 14,000 and some odd feet, and it's freezing and snows up to your waist. You don't want to go up there then. But they have a club in Colorado Springs called the, what is that club called? The, the something man club? Crazy man club. That, that could be it. It was like the, the, the one survivor man. I don't know what it is, but every New Year's Eve they hike up there and shoot off fireworks. And you just say, oh my goodness. Have they been to the local cannabis store? You know what that is, right? It's legal in Colorado. So be careful when you're out there in terms of driving. Uh, Last thing here is uh, in the last five minutes, our ruling and reigning with God in the new heaven and new earth. We will know that this has always been God's will for us from Genesis chapter 1. He said that it was good. He created these all that He created, the earth and the heavens, the universe, for us to enjoy, for us to walk with Him. Do you remember He delighted walking in the garden with Adam? He created all of this to be good and said it was good until the serpent 
Satan entered the picture. And since that day, the things that we even experience now, the tragedies in life, the sad things in life, the evil in life. You know, when, I don't know about you, but some days when I turn on the news, I wonder why I turned it on. Because it's just depressing and discouraging. Someone has taken someone's life again. Horrible things happen. And, and it seems like as time goes on, the darkness increases around us. And the light starts to get, you know, shoved into a corner. But one day, all of that will be taken away because He is removing the curse and He is glorifying us. And the whole creation, remember Romans 8, groans, groans, waiting for the day that the sons of God will be glorified and the curse will be lifted. So I wrote down Genesis 48, um, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29 talks about us being made heirs of the promise. Every believer are heirs of the promise to Abraham who are in the seed, singular, who is Christ. Galatians 3.29 Both Jew and Gentile who are in Jesus are the true offspring of Abraham and joint heirs. Uh, we, are, we are to understand this as a result of our inheritance from Christ. So we know that this has always been God's will. Number two, letter B, we will understand that this is a result of our inheritance from Christ, which we were given all in Him. Let me read to you one passage that I dearly love. It's in 1 Peter, a couple of verses, 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. And it comes right after James. James and Peter 1, 3 to 5, this inheritance that we have that He has prepared for us. And here's what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's coming. That's our inheritance. I don't know what your inheritance has been in this life. Some of us maybe got a good inheritance from our families, our parents. Others of us may not have gotten anything. But we have an inheritance from Him through Christ which will be fulfilled in the new heavens and new earth, which is imperishable, undefiled, won't fade away, is glorious beyond all that we can ask or think. And then letter C, we will know that this inheritance includes all of His creation, both land and creatures. Some of the verses that we've looked at already. Um, and then letter D, finally, we will find that being co-heirs with Christ will be a source of great joy and delight. Blessed are those whose names are written down and are in heaven. If you looked at Matthew 5, 12 in the Sermon on the Mount, and I'll just turn there and read that quickly. There's some other verses there for you too, but I know our time is 
fastly moving. So this is Revelation 5 and verse 12. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, whatever you're facing in this life, whatever, whatever trials God has given us to go through, other believers have gone through them too. And there is no comparison to what we have to experience in this life in light of what is to come. Rejoice and be glad. Being co-heirs with Christ will be joy beyond anything we can imagine. And that day is coming. And for some of us around here, whether he comes back soon, or even if he doesn't, it won't be many years until we can see him face to face and be with that group in the intermediate heaven who are saying repeatedly, how long, Lord, until you return? Waiting for the day. The ones in heaven don't want to leave heaven, the intermediate heaven, even to come back here. But the ones in heaven are still not back to Miami yet. They're in Dallas. <laughs> and they're, they're waiting to get on the plane to come here. I wonder if it could happen in our lifetime. You think so? It could. It could happen this week before it's over. It could. Yes, we are. We're to be ready. And what were they even praying in Paul's day? Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for, for letting us do this with you. We will be praying for you, and you pray for us if you think of us. We look forward to seeing you in the summer and back next winter, and who knows what the Lord's plan is for the future. Maybe he's going to move Pikes Peak here. I don't know, to Florida. By the way, but you do have Mount Dora to climb. Anybody been up Mount Dora? 184 feet. 184 feet, see? Almost similar to Pikes Peak. 